0: 1980s in wrestling peaked with flair versus steamboat throughout 1989 they were the definition of a five-star match hell i'd go so far i'd say it was a six-star match but that was within the context of 1980s pro wrestling terry funk's feud with rick flair was which followed the steamboat feud was brilliant and I will argue that it was the start of the 1990s and one of the most influential matches you will ever see. But even taking away its historical importance, in that it really reestablished Terry Funk as the superstar. I mean, he'd been NWA champion. That's as big as you could get in the industry in the 70s. But he went beyond that here in 1989 and became the biggest star in anywhere, really. I don't remember what the finish was for Wrestler of the Year, but I know Ric Flair won. And Steamboat and Funk should have been second and third, no less. In the match from New York, I think it was December 17th, New York knockout. Maybe it was November 17th, but it was the end of the year Clash of the Champions, number nine, was the perfect way to establish what 1990s wrestling would become and oddly that style was never really adopted by WCW as much as it was by groups outside almost all of them having Terry Funk is a significant portion ECW completely stems from this match and it's not just the violence the stiffness the the hard work within a context of a match that didn't require that type of work normally if you compare this to say the Memphis matches that we've had on this list, it's not like that. It's not the wild and craziness. Even though it is a little wild and crazy. And it's also not quite Gordian Hansen working their style within a pro wrestling. It's something new. It is stylistically different from what we were seeing. It was the molding, the folding in of a brawling style and a traditional 1980s wrestling style. And it's not just Funk was working the brawling style and Flair was working the the 80s wrestling style. It was the merge. Both were managing to do both. Because when one would get an advantage in their, what we would assume to be their style, the other would come back within that style and stop it and cause a turnaround, and then go to working their style again. But it's more than that. It is Funk's selling He takes a single chop, goes over the top rope crashes into the gate and in a way this seems cartoonish when you sort of think about it but watching it, it is completely natural. It feels as if Flair because he's in this greatest match of his career asterisk that he's supercharged that chop so this is a natural sell and Funk is amazing here he is a selling machine. But not only that, he's not only selling the beating, he's selling the fact that he is middle-aged and crazy perfectly. Because when he hits that guardrail, comes about a foot away from fans who are riling on him, he starts taking swings at him. But they're controlled swings. They look like, they're out of con- like he's out of control. But you could tell if he wanted to, he could tag any one of the people. But he's doing it in a way to make it look like he could. But he doesn't. He's genius here. Flair is pinpoint precise in everything he does in this match. I would argue that this is a better match than any of the Steamboat matches because the storytelling is more impressive. And part of the reason for that, this is an I quit match. So they had the mic and you had to say into the mic, I quit. One of the reasons why I think this is so influential is the way the wrestlers talking and what they say in the ring during the match, how it affects drawing the crowd into that match. Because the way the ring is miked, you're getting that interaction. You're hearing funk call flair an egg-sucking dog. And if you look at what ECW was doing, particularly guys like the Dudleys, they are pulling directly from this. In the ring, they are talking often to the audience... And stylistically, that had not traditionally been the way. And it builds naturally to a decisive finish. And that decisive finish is, of course, Flair applying the figure four and Funk giving up, saying I quit into the microphone. Now get ready for this, because this is where it gets a little deep. The way Funk gave up was, in a way, saying... My time is done here. I've done what I can do. And it has come up short. This is really him saying goodbye in a way. It's not just the end of a program. It is the end of Terry Funk as a significant player in WCW at that point. Which is perfectly cool. It's a great way to go out. And he still had a couple of matches, even significant matches. He feuded with Muda, I think, didn't he? I could be wrong about that. 1989 was a very hectic year, but obviously the best year in wrestling, I would argue, until probably 1997. But what you had here is not only Flair overcoming Funk, finally establishing himself out of the shadow of the 1970s world champions by overcoming one of them. He had done that once with Harley Race, but Funk was a whole different thing. And what happened next was Flair would go on and he would do his thing and would establish himself as the greatest champion of all time. Some would argue by this point he had already done that. He was certainly close. He was at that level. But I think here that solidified it. But what Funk was doing was saying the 80s were dead. That if you're going to compete today, you have to up your game into a new level. And what we would eventually see is that the new level he was talking about was what would spawn tri-state in Philadelphia it would spawn ECW FMW was already around and starting to influence things stylistically in Japan, not so much in the US I think they had not yet done their US tour yet because I know they did a couple of shows in LA but I think that was 90 or 91 but you had funk establishing what wrestling was going to become Without this match, I really believe ECW probably would have been very, very different. Not only because Terry Funk brought this there, but because it's obvious Eddie Gilbert was seeing this and retooling his booking methodology. And his booking is what led to ECW becoming what ECW was because he booked it in a very particular style. And that is shown 100% from this match. It is absolutely no surprise that Funk would find major play in the Japanese Garbage Federations. I know people say Garbage Federations is a downing, is putting it down. I don't consider it to be putting it down at all. The hardcore feds. The deathmatch style. Because I think he worked with all three of the big ones of the early 90s. FMW, I know he did. Wing, I'm fairly certain he appeared for Wing, and I know he was a bunch of great matches in IWA. But what you have happen here is, in essence, he says, I am giving up and leaving the the traditional NWA World Championship style behind and going into something new. This match would have felt completely at home in ECW in 1995, in the WWF in 1998. This was a brawl that took the elements of the Gordy Hansen versus Tenru and and Kawada match that took the Hanson Gordy concept, but then applied something new to it, an intensity that had not been necessarily applied towards brawling in this way in the ring. This was a crazy match, but it wasn't an insane match. This, to me, represents the best of what ECW would become, the best of what the Attitude Era did. In a lot of ways, this is Stone Cold versus Bret Hart, but with a cleaner ending. This isn't Shawn Michaels versus Diesel, where there are all sorts of bells and whistles. These guys didn't need that. This was the peak of cutting-edge wrestling in the U.S., and its ripples would show long on... And as we go through this list into the 90s, you'll see reflections of this match. But there is nothing, absolutely nothing more powerful than the finish of this match. When Flair has funk in the figure four, and you're audibly hearing and focused on, and they must have done some really good sound sound design for this as the match is going on, because it was crystal clear everywhere. My leg, Rick, my leg, it's breaking. My leg is breaking. You're breaking me. And then he quits. He goes through that hold a long time. That moment, more than anything, I think, influenced the entire history and future, future from that point, history from now, of professional wrestling. And as we move into the 90s, when we see the reflections, sometimes they're subtle and sometimes they're really blatantly obvious. From this point forward, we're going to see figures like Onita again, Cactus Jack. We're going to see guys you don't sort of think of as brawlers like Drew Gulak and Timothy Thatcher, we're going to talk about women's deathmatch, mostly focusing on Megumi Kudo. And if I can find it, possibly Jackie versus Ivory, because I love that brawl, and it says a lot about the position of both women in the WWF in the Attitude Era and uh, how sort of the gimmicks were used at that point. But the 90s is a really impressive time for brawling. Today is too, but when you look at the 90s and how things change and ebb and what goes from the mainstream to, or from the sort of the indies and the smaller feds to the mainstream, it shows that this match was the inflection point. This is where everything changed.